0: Okay, I see, you think this has nothing to do with you. You go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back, but what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue, it's not turquoise, it's not lapis, it's actually cerulean. And you're also blithely unaware of the fact that In 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns, and then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets? I think we need a jacket here. And then cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. Then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars, and countless jobs, and it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. No, oh, I never checked my audio. How's the tone, Bob? You sound great, Dave. You sound like
2: uh, a young—I um,
1: don't even know anyone, Dave Barry. Oh no. Uh, Dave Barry, huh? Speaking of Dave Barry, my mother-in-law Kitty sent me his reflection of 2021. And I, it was just such a mixed bag. Some of his jokes were so bad. Some of his jokes were just like uh, a little bit problematic. But then there was also so much nostalgia and so much like really like a lot of pleasure. And then some of his jokes were like really nice.
2: Yeah, Dave Barry. That brings you back, doesn't it? To Yeah.
1: Mom. Would she read it to us? I don't or know. Would I we think re- so. I have a memory of like her reading Dave Barry, which is pretty interesting. Well, happy
2: 2022. Dave, how's it
1: treating you so far? It's been great. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about COVID today and I want to get your input on it if that's all right before we start the show so some first start with some trivia do you know what the most vaccinated state is um vermont um vermont is number two number one is rhode island mm. and do you know where covid is surging the most right now would it be the granite state of rhode island or is it yeah. is that the ocean State? ocean Street. it's the ocean state granite is gotta be new hampshire right that's right that is yeah cool.
2: Yeah. I saw that, that Rhode Island is surging the most right now. Yeah. And I was like, what? So, cause I'm like
1: ch- trying, but I mean, obviously we can't quite tell with hospitalization rates and death rates. Those are the real key numbers about vaccination more so than anything else. Um, And then I got thinking about just like sort of doing a gut check about like other countries. Um, like four or five days ago, did you know we had 1 million new cases Oh wow! in the United States? Yeah. I know
2: we're breaking records. It's like off the charts. Yeah.
1: It's like the last three days are like one million eight hundred thousand, six hundred thousand 600,000 new cases. Those are the last three days. I think something like that just, uh, we're recording on January 8th, 2022. And I, I was like, well, let me check India real quick, you know? And then I went to India and the highest that they've ever had is 300,000 cases in a day. Yeah. Which is kind of mind numbing for a country the size of India. You know, it's about three or four or five times our population to have like never surged quite as high as we've been surging. Right. And then, you know, I looked at New Zealand and they've been like consistently seen as one of the countries that's really doing great, you know. Both New Zealand and like a country like Finland, just like across the board, usually have like five or six cases a day. But since Omicron, they've been like, you know, New Zealand's at something like 10,000 cases. Or maybe that was Finland and New Zealand. Was at like just but it's just crazy how Omicron's hitting them, you know? Do you think the
2: Rhode Island example shows us that Omicron can get through
1: vaccination? Yeah, I think... That's my thought that Omicron can get through vaccination and that, um, but also, you know, the other the other states that were highest on the list were like New York, New Jersey, like these very densely populated states. And at the bottom of the list was the least densely populated Montana, Wyoming, Maine. And Maine has great vaccination, but Montana and Wyoming are some of the worst. They're like both under 50% vaccinated. So I think, I mean, there's a lot to do with population density, but I will say that it it seems like the numbers were saying that you're about 13 times as likely to die of COVID if you're unvaccinated as opposed to vaccinated. And you're about five times as likely to get it if you're Uh, unvaccinated as opposed to vaccinated.
2: Do your numbers of vaccination include booster
1: or do you have no information on that? No, no info on that. I don't know. I'm and I guess my final note is that I'm I'm feel pretty hopeful with Omicron in general. I guess I'm feeling like the from what I've heard, like how it offers a much better, like natural immunity getting Omicron to get COVID again. Um, it also seems to be like melting out all the other variants that are much more deadly like delta which was seemed to be almost like four times as deadly as omicron at least the wave of delta the high death point was way higher than it is right now and i feel like those are really two really nice things to hear like maybe this is a virus that will give us more of a natural immunity and a herd immunity as a country. And maybe because it's so transmissible that everyone's going to end up getting it. Like I heard right now, one in four Americans already has Omicron, like currently, which is a wild stat. And If you add that to, I think the United States is sitting at like 66% vaccinated, which is not great either, but. States like California are like 70, Colorado's 70. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of hope that like maybe this is going to save some lives Omicron in general, even though it's going to shut down a lot of economies and schools and stuff. So like there's that downside too. But those were all my thoughts today.
2: Yeah, that last opinion is sh- shared or like it's a hope. It's not like a
1: necessarily
2: that's going to happen, but i um, listening to some podcasts from some experts like epidemiologists are hoping for that, too, that the Omicron profile would allow for some kind of herd immunity. So, yeah, I guess we just got to wait it out. I'll say that the research is looking pretty strongly that cloth masks don't really help that much. They don't give much of a, a bump up anymore mm. with Omicron. So it's really mm-hmm. important to get the N95s and those like, or like the, the cloth ones that have, you can put a filter in, like a removable filter. So when I was in Boulder, you gave me one of your cloth masks, which I loved, but it might be time to to upgrade to one of those ones that you could put a, a filter into the middle of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed a lot more people wearing N95s around uh so i might have to be looking at that too that's good advice i haven't found one because the typical one is made for a much smaller dome than my dome is monster dome yeah and you sent out a fact sheet like if two people are wearing n95s that it takes like 25 hours of shared airspace to transmit corona
2: and it looks like that's based on studies like field studies um where there's probably not ventilation. So I think if you're in ventilated areas, that probably goes up more. Yeah. And also like it's from frontline workers. So if you're like also maintaining distances, it'll go up
1: even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it better for you to wear N95 or for the person you're with to wear an N95? Um, I think
2: it's better for the person... The other person to wear it, but I think there's like very big advantages for both people, according to that chart at least, um, which is based on some meta analyses. And I I read some of those meta analyses that I was based on, but there's like just there's like hundreds and hundreds of studies out there now. Yeah, cool. Any other words on
1: Corona? I don't know why I'm calling it Corona all of a sudden.
2: Corona. <laughs> the- Any
1: other words on the novel coronavirus? yeah I don't know I'm hoping that's interesting I wasn't really trying to go off on that it was just like it's good to track it yeah it's good to track it and it's good to have have it back in the mind frame again I'm sure we all are
2: yeah yeah and just yeah we've talked about it a lot on this show but not in a while so I like that we were talking about it here again yeah Yeah. so wait Wait, can I
1: say one more thing yeah go ahead I was also looking at what country is the most vaccinated and it looks like the United Arab Emirates is like damn near 99% vaccinated right now. UAE. Wow. That's interesting. Um, but they're not very boosted, which is not great, but Chile as a country, Chile is extremely vaccinated, like 86, 87% and very boosted, like Mm. through the roof, like close to 50 or 60% boosted. Uh, so that's. That's pretty wild. Chile, 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 Chile is the most um, like safest country, I guess, based on vaccination and other precautions that they've been taking.
2: Spring break in Chile. Chile. Chile.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
2: probably probably shouldn't be traveling right now. But that does segue into the fact that I traveled to Colorado during the surge of Omicron of 2021, 2022.
1: Yeah, Bob. It was so good to have you out here. We, our last podcast was us chatting in Colorado, which was a, a real treat. Yeah. Helen Mazler's kitchen. Yeah. Wow. That was awesome. And we did our new year's YouTube episode, which isn't really a thriving episode, but it's, it's related. Oh it yeah. The, it was the crew. So if you didn't get, if you didn't see that it's up on the feed, I have no idea how to find it. Maybe type in uh Dave peach tree, YouTube prediction show 2022 or 2021 something like
2: that and put in the show notes to this app
1: oh yeah there you go yeah (laughs) rather than trying to give uh random google search terms but uh yeah if you want to watch the show but it was great having you out here bob yeah that was sort of going to be our
2: topic for this show um just like intersections of boulder meaning like our connection over the holiday season and then there were historic fires in Boulder that we wanted to talk about as well.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Where do you want to start, Bob? I I kind of want to start just like um, talking about it segues from COVID a bit, just like being in Colorado for the first time in two years. Um, I got to say it just like felt magical. It felt like otherworldly. Yeah. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that like, I mean, I haven't even been on an airplane in two years. I haven't been in Colorado in the same amount of time and haven't seen you all. Um, and so it was, it was wonderful. You know, my, our mom said like, if I'd sum up the trip, like what did we do? We didn't do much. We didn't do much at all. We just hung out. Um, yeah, I'd say we did much and, um, the fires took over like the last part of the trip. Um, there was enough time to take a little peek at the nest. In Fort Collins, which is what I'm calling yours and Julie's place. And it's, it's a beautiful place the co-housing that you two live in. I really, really enjoyed it. Got to stay in the common house um, bedroom, guest house. And that was awesome. Yeah. I don't know. There's just so much to talk about, but yeah, I just want to stop and just say like, yeah, after two years, you know, It's just not something you take for granted. And it feels a little bit like a dream to be able to do it. And so I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. um, I can take it to some different places, but I want to give you a, a moment to reflect as well.
1: Yeah. I would say that it feels like we talked about this maybe 50 episodes ago or so, how COVID sort of took away the hangout. We, and this was sort of early on in the pandemic. But we had this, just this like, what, what does it, cha- like, how does it change being like with a person 24 seven? So you're like just sharing space and just like, we, we were able to recreate this once during a world series game or a Sunday baseball game where we were just like doing stuff and had the baseball game on and we had a zoom call going. And that felt really, it was just like watching a game through zoom. With a lot of quiet, a lot of chit chat. And I think that was like the nicest thing, just like talking about who knows what coffee brands or tea culture or like daily routines or, or even like the big topics, you know, like finding time. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah, that time just is naturally there where you're not like creating an hour of your day to make space to get into something that feels really difficult, you know, where you're like planning your whole day around. It's like, oh, I got dinner, like, oh, I'm running 15 minutes late. That kind of stuff. So that was like by far my biggest highlight was to find some like chill time with you because that time is like really transformative and it's like a like a walk and squawk. It can really just like change what you're thinking, what you're talking about as you're like moving through space with each other. But yeah, I have a few questions for you, bum What about Boulder or sorry, maybe Colorado versus California? Do you, did you notice any big differences in like the culture, like, or at least in the spaces you were occupying?
2: Um, I would say nothing huge and I didn't get out that much, you know, it feels like Colorado, the roads are a lot more open and like, there's just not as many people. I didn't know. Yeah. Because I was with you guys so much. I didn't really notice super much about the culture, the like geography. Like obviously I noticed it was super dry. Um, but Mm -hmm. yeah, nothing, nothing too much like Colorado versus California.
1: Mm -hmm. And what about with Boulder in general, not being there for two years? What were some of the bigger changes that you had felt? I would say maybe the front range in general, you know? I feel like you, there's like such a perspective when you've been gone for so long.
2: Yeah, just like, um, of course, just like the Boulder Mountain Park, you know, the Flatirons, um, just like that's just so striking and you can never get enough of that. And so I noticed that immediately. Yeah, anything else, I don't know. Like maybe like there is still mostly the same businesses as used to be there. Um, you and I got to a nice little like time to do some errands. And we went to like the bookworm in North Boulder. Awesome. That's still around. Um, went to snarfs, just those things. It's just so fun to like, Boulder's got so many like little shops and places that you can go and entertain yourself that way. I mean, we didn't even go to like the super touristy places or or like the shopping, the big shopping centers. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, Boulder. Yeah. I I've, I just I I feel like I only got the tip of the iceberg though because so much of the time was spent at the house.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, I guess my next question was to kind of her next segment was to kind of think about the fires and yeah, um, how that affected just the end of the trip, you know, on our way back because it was feeling like. I didn't realize how bad the fires were at the time, but we were driving back from Fort Collins to Boulder. And I was thinking about, as you do when a fire starts, it's like one of the big pieces of climate change, right? So we had like heard that there was a fire in the Boulder area, but we didn't know if it was bad or like what it was or what was happening. Um, But, you know, every time around this time of year, you'll hear about a lot of different fires, right? Over the last like since moving home three years ago, there's always at least a few fires in the area. This one, of course, was different because it was in a city. But yeah, I was thinking about how like droughts lead have led to this like pretty tumultuous or like sort of like a domino effect. Like you're just like on edge for a few months every year now, like in Colorado, where you're like something's going to spark and that spark is going to lead to a, a bunch of of fire and damage and yeah, it's been, it's been one of the harder things to grapple with, with Colorado because it's, we, you know, Colorado is not like California, a uh, risky landmass as they call it. But yeah, I don't know how are the, how the fire strike you at first? Yeah. It's, um,
0: it does
2: seem like following the fires in both these states over the last few years that Colorado is definitely so fire prone like maybe not quite as much as California, but certainly a lot. Um, yeah, it was interesting because we were driving back from Fort Collins. So we saw the smoke plumes um, and, you know, we're getting closer and closer. I'm like, oh my God, this is like, like in Boulder, it looked like, like shit. And like following Twitter, like, well, there's evacuation orders for like first like Louisville and then Superior or maybe at the same time for both of those. And then but there still wasn't anything for, for Boulder. So I'm like, okay, our house is probably still there. And yeah, sure enough, we got back. There was some like trees knocked over of our neighbors. Cause this all was like precipitated by hurricane force winds. Um, I think, you know, knocking down fire lines or power lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're still investigating that, but that's what it seemed like. Right. Um, and at least the fire, I mean, it moved so quickly, definitely, because it was so, so incredibly dry, but also the winds moved move that fire so quickly. And that was, That was probably the most unique part of it for me, like that it moved so quickly. Um, And the fires that threatened Santa Cruz and Monterey two years ago, they did not move nearly that quickly. I mean, they were like bearing down on us like slowly, but surely, but nothing like that. Um, So, and then, yeah, we were like in our house with our go packs, deciding whether we should like evacuate. And it just like, we were talking all of us and, we're like, yeah, let's stay until like there's an evacuation order. And we waited, you know, through the afternoon and then into the night. And then we had a good look at, you know, the fires in our backyard. They're just three miles away. And there's like multiple four fires out there in the open space between Boulder and Louisville and Superior. Mm-hmm. And then in the nighttime, looking down towards El Dorado Canyon area, it started like erupting again. It was like super light and like with fire um, just fire light. And, um, the, the winds sort of stopped and our house was lucky because the winds were pushing away from it. But when the wind stopped, it seemed like the wind, the fire could come back up towards us. So there, that was another like hour of fear that it might do that. But in the end it didn't and it abated, but yeah, that was like the experience of during the fire. And for me, it was like, similar to the feelings of maybe we will be burned up. Like that was actually pretty similar to how I was feeling two years ago, just quicker. Um, so it wasn't a totally foreign feeling to me. I feel like it's the new normal or something like that. Um, and then there's like the aftermath as well, which I could talk about, but like that, you know, collective survival or collective trauma that happened, you know, um, even if you survived it, you're connected to your neighbors or you're thinking about survivor's guilt or things like that, that we
1: experienced as well. Right. Yeah. I feel like it is this like apocalyptic moment, right? When you're feeling these ridiculous winds and trees are blown down and then there's fires everywhere. It feels very much out of a book in a lot of ways. And it also feels like, man, this just missed us and could have easily swept through boulder could have easily i mean 3 miles right? right the wind direction could have been a little bit different for us yeah it's kind of a just like like you talked about that collective grief that like sadness like i feel a lot of sadness and trying to empathy for the people that lost their homes and it's just like a you lose everything when a fire like that happens you know it's just like We, the next day, we watched the drone footage of the just like some guy flying his drone over some of these bigger burn sites, and there was nothing left. Like nothing whatsoever. Like, I guess a basement is more or less, and like still a little bit of fires going on, or like maybe a random like mailbox here and there, but it just was just like, damn, it's all gone. And yeah, I'm. Yeah. Curious to hear about the aftermath for you.
2: Yeah. Um, I just felt like oddly, like more connected to Boulder, you know, it's like this trip that I was like connecting back to my roots in Boulder. And it just felt like it connected me even more to Boulder, like, cause of like, I don't want Boulder to burn up. And I'm sad that Superior and Louisville burned up in that way. And the open space burned up in that way. It made me feel like really grateful to be there. Like I, I don't want to experience it from afar. I want to be there and helping or just, I mean, supporting people, but also just experiencing it. Um, Cause I think it's important to experience these things. Like the day after I took a walk, interestingly, it, it snowed like 10 inches the next day. And in the walk, I just felt like when I looked at people, people were like smiling more or like there's a look in people's eyes of like yesterday was was hell or something like that. And one woman like looked at me and, uh, put her arms out and said like, finally, and it took me a moment to understand her, but she was saying like, finally it snowed. Um, so yeah, those are some thoughts. And then I also want us to think about, you brought this up before, like climate change and like my, my phraseology around like, this is a new normal. And like, what, what do we do about that? Like we know it's been coming like this is no surprise at all. And this was a complete climate change fire because it hasn't snowed at all in the front range until then. And so that's like, that's never happened. Um, often it snows in even September, but definitely October, November. So I don't know. I've had some climate change thoughts. Some of my thoughts are just like uh, I'm really interested to read this book. We're in this book club, as people know, and I want to invite all of our listeners to, to join we're going to be reading this book. We've started called um, the ministry of the future by Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, and it's definitely talking about these very issues. Um, so I want to sink in there. And because like, it's like, yeah, it's so easy to call it climate change. Like, oh, it's climate change. Yeah, of course it is. But like, what do we do? And I don't want to feel paralyzed by that. Um, so yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, part of the reason I found it really interesting is how much it correlated to the book we're reading. I'm definitely the farthest ahead in the book of anybody that's been in the book club. Um, and there are a lot of like really interesting kind of clismic events that like, that are like really profound that will definitely, you know, these are events that will probably one day happen, right? Like the book starts off with a drought that's taking or a heat wave of in India. And, you know, it's upwards of 130 degrees and just kind of the death toll that that's going to cause with like a, a heat wave that's sustained of that long for so in a place. And, you know, so you're extrapolating as to like what some of those events might do for humanity when the, like, it's easy to kind of forget and ignore when like a thousand homes are burned down, you know, and it's not right in your backyard, it feels like a little bit easier to push that away and ignore those thoughts. But when it's, you know, cause these events will become more and more cataclysmic and we will get to a point where it, you can't ignore what's happening. Right. And I feel like in the book, they offer some interesting ideas. I don't want to spoil too much, but, um, one that they offer in passing is this idea of how like ocean levels are rising. They're like trying to come up with a way of like freezing ocean water, which would be like to pump the water back into like glacial valleys in Antarctica. So like to do this like giant pump like pipeline that would be pumping seawater back into this like big bowl that would be able to hold a bunch of ocean water, which is like that doesn't really do that much in the long term, obviously, but it like saves a lot of short-term coastlines and whatnot but in the book they talk about how it's not even realistic to do something like that to like the pipe the amount of pipeline that would be needed for that would be more than we've ever built in the entire history of humanity um there is like this the one that felt most interesting to me was this like idea of like monetizing it tying like our survival like the survival of earth to the economy and like the u.s dollar and all the the big banks around the world like making it so like you get rewarded for not only do you not get taxed for being a non-polluter but you get rewarded monetarily for like uh, sequestering carbon which is i don't know it's a pretty unique and interesting idea but also one that feels like the idea of like using capitalism to try and save the world and i feel like it feels like a failed endeavor, but there's literally like 10 or six, you know, 10 more ideas in the first half of the book about what people are doing to try and combat this. So yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like there's any clean answer, but it feels like for me, what's always been true is like people aren't going to get off their keisters until it actually is like hitting them in the face. And that's been the problem with climate change is it doesn't like hit you in the face. like. Uh, I don't know, so much of this other stuff and it's easy to dismiss it, right? Like you said, I maybe it's not even to be talked about as how this is a climate change fire and I'm sure there's people that might want to refute that, but it's like these are like climate change events that have been happening with fires and what have you and droughts and anyway, I'll let you go.
2: Yeah, just interestingly, I will mention that idea of like, monetizing green uh energy and punishing fossil fuel energy um i agree with you like i don't love that idea because it just like perpetuates capitalism and capitalism is is the problem it's got us here however it that was the key reason that joe manchin killed the build back better bill because of the ways that that bill um, was doing those exact things, um, particularly like punishing coal and fossil fuel industries. Um, but so it's interesting that like if Mansions killing that, then that idea does have some value and it does threaten some aspects of the corporate elite. Um, so in that sense, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I don't think it's enough. You know, I think it needs to happen like very much in concert with just a sea change in culture around needing to like have everyone just like be connected with the earth and understand like that we are the earth and that we are, um, you know, that we need to have like a very loving relationship with the earth. Like that needs to happen, which, which would be like foster ideas of like, interconnectedness with other humans and power sharing. And I I don't think that necessarily has to connect with social justice, but it needs, it must for me, you know, um, because interestingly enough, I guess is a side topic, but there's things called eco fascism where there's white supremacists who are really into the nature and the earth, but they're, White supremacists and they want it just for them. So, do you think you have to like also study social justice and and bring that in? So, all that needs to happen as well. But that idea that you brought up, I thought probably needs to be a at least a short term part of it. Right. So, I don't know where that takes us in our conversation, uh, but yeah, maybe you can pick up the thread, Dave.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe we'll tie it all back and sort of get back to it. And I just feel like one of my biggest Like, fears of moving to Colorado was the idea of drought, water rights, and fires. Like, it felt like we all want to think of like our home, like our quote unquote forever home of like, what is the long term viability of this region? You know, we sort of like the prepper mentality. I don't think Colorado is a particularly, uh, not a particularly risky place, but I also don't feel like it's that safe in a lot of ways, especially with long term dynamics. And I think. One of the bigger things that, you know, you got to think about is how many like people are just moving here in droves. You know what I mean? Like so many city centers in the front range area have doubled in population from Nevada all the way up to Sheridan. Like every place has basically doubled in size over the last 20 years, which that's not sustainable by any measure. And I think that that is just another thing to look at one of the like a long time ago. Like if you look at Vermont, Vermont feels like a place that is pretty resilient with climate change, but I think like the issue with any place is like once people start getting pushed away from coastal areas or city centers, then like you brought this up a while ago, then it's like gonna be like overrun with just people, and once more people come, that makes the place much less viable so yeah, yeah it's a it doesn't matter where like you a- are. Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly what you're going to say. Yeah, like it just doesn't matter where you are. You know, it. The climate change affects everywhere. Even if the place isn't directly affected by like the worst of it, it will be indirectly affected by exactly what you talked about: social factors. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. Vermont. That's a good example. Like, Vermont is pretty protected from the worst of it. But when the Eastern Seaboard floods, like that's like megalopolises that'll surely affect Vermont right when New York and Boston and all those places flood that, that has to affect Vermont in my thinking. So yeah, I think just every place is just has to contend with these, these factors. And I say, just like, let's develop like that idea, like get into the fray. Like I was saying, I'm glad I was in Boulder when it happened. I think it's important for us to build resilience, build, um, like support for each other who are on the front lines and like that, that mutual aid, mutual connection I think is the right approach rather than like the prepper approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, prepper is fine too. Like there's a piece of me that wants to be a part of that. And like, yeah, I think we all need to think about ourselves and but uh, in that same token, like we can't, we need to be prepping with our, of the community mindset too. Right. Like how are we gonna take care of the bigger community or at least our local community? And from that local community, the bigger community, because that's where it all what it all comes down to. Because it's like sure, let's just think about us and our offspring. But that like will never get us very far. We have to be I mean, you have to think about yourself, but you also have to it's a double edged, you know, because you gotta take care of yourself if you're gonna make big change in this world. Gotta get your eight hours of sleep and drink your drink your water. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you do. And hopefully, uh, put a little soda stream in there. Oh, nice. Did you end up buying a soda stream, Bob? No, I haven't yet. I did, um, uh, see a bed, bath and beyond from the highway, but I haven't purchased it yet, but I, I definitely am for the, for the listeners. I, I, uh, just really enjoyed Dave and Julie's soda stream while I was over there. So I gotta got to get one for myself.
1: You got to soda stream it. Sweet Bob. Well, we're going to end with a game of stone face, so I'll let you, um, I'll do the coordinates and yeah, go for it, Dave. get us all set up and ready to go. We are located at, on the interwebs at thrivingdystopia.com, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia on Instagram, Peachtree at gmail.com, bmaze19 on Twitter, and you can follow my TikTok, Dave Peachtree. I wrote a dedication song to Buffalo Wild Wings recently. Love it, Dave. All right, Bob. Let's get going. Let's do it. Let's see if you can, if I can get a win this week. Okay. Okay. Go for it. <clears throat> All right, Bob. You think an eggplant is good? You should try another food. It's much better. better, 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 better. <laughs> yes. Stonefacey Dave, Nadir, bring that beautiful music in. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so bad. I just randomly read a one liner from the internet. It doesn't even make sense, it was such a bad joke. Oh, uh, good stuff, this treat continues.
2: Alrighty, Dave, well, I gotta go make, that reminds me, I gotta go make some dinner. So, I'll see you on the flip, love you See it you on the flippity flip, love you Bob. What's up, driving Crew? Bob and Dave wanna take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also wanna thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is in heaven, By Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Cheyetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. The outro song to season 8 is Captain Jack
0: by Kimaru Crew. Thanks for listening. Je un radeau Un jour voyant pour Ce qu'il croyait un bateau On le prit à bord et en fit un pirate Commençant la légende de Jack Captain Jack Captain
1: Jack